All right, are you ready to study God's Word? Come on now, get your Bibles out, and I'm going to be reading momentarily from Isaiah chapter 60, as well as from the book of Hebrews. And in just a moment, as has become now our custom, we're going to stand, not yet, I have some things I want to say, but we will stand in respect for the Word of God. I had a message prepared for today. I had my notes completed. I actually enjoy it when I can get my notes completed a few days before the Lord's Day approaches and I can get the notes shot off to Brad and he creates the PowerPoints and then I can check that off of my brain and it's always a nice feeling. But the Lord awakened me this morning and I felt a strong, strong leading to go another direction. So the notes that I'm about to share with you um, partially include some of the notes that I had originally prepared for the conference in Sioux City, Iowa that I mentioned that I was at several weeks ago that surrounded the theme of disruption. Everybody say disruption. (laughs) How many of you know nobody likes disruption? How many of you know in the church we don't do disruption well? What if I told you there was divine disruption? What if I told you that God is in the midst of some of your disruption? That there's righteous disruption? Somehow those two words seem almost oxymoronic. Disruption seems like it's the devil and we ought to rebuke it, when in fact disruption can be God and we ought to embrace it. But that last night that I was going to share at the conference, I I felt prompted of the Lord to go another direction, and the Lord showed up. And it was the thing to share that was there. And so this one just had never been really formulated totally. And so I really wondered why I, I felt like I needed to do some study in this area. And I've become convinced that this was not meant to go to Iowa. This was meant to come to us. And so we're going to be speaking a little bit within that theme of disruption. And uh, I'm going to put it in the midst of the I Love My Church series because I believe the church is meant to be a prophetic voice and sometimes it's good news and sometimes it's challenging news. Your pastor, I believe, is a, is a, is a prophet inside of him. That means I got a disrupting anointing. Yeehaw. You know, if you have, you know, most pastors are like really super shepherdy. You know, it's like they're very, they're very, they're there. You know, it'll all be okay. You know, no, you know, let's 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 lie down. Let's find a peace. Let's let's do everything we can to make sure there's stability. And and you got the one that comes in and go goes, no, no, God's in disruption. Woo woo! Isn't it true that we're all f- trying to find peace, not disruption? I mean, isn't that true, Sherry? I mean, you're at home and the kids are going and it's disruptive and you're not looking to see God in that moment. You're trying to bring peace to that moment. I can guarantee in church life you get disrupted. And, 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 and we're always looking. Oh, blah, blah, blah. There's disruption. We've got to find peace. We've got to find we, we've, we've got a stability, stability, stability. Can I just share something with you? It's amazing how many people yell stability in the midst of church life, but when you read the Bible, you see a lot of disruption. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not. Sometimes I think we create the Bible in our own image and we create God in our own image and we declare things that we want, but the fact of the matter is God has a whole other story and narrative that goes through the Scriptures. 
I just want to remind us of that today. And I think I have kind of a prophetic word, and we'll see how this goes. I believe I have a screen that's going to be put up there, preparation for disruption. But I think there was a screen that showed a coin. Is there one that was up there? Yeah, the prophetic ministry. Let me just share something with you. That if there's a coin that I could call the prophetic ministry, there are two sides to that coin. One side of that coin is reformation. And what reformation means is that we believe that God has an intent for your life and for for the nation or the civic life that reflects the honor and the glory of God. Do you believe that? See, God's heart for you is to be Christ-like. God's heart for you is for your life to reflect an honor to God and that in all you do, you would honor God. Whatever you do, the Bible says, you do to the glory of God, whether you eat or drink or whatever it is you do. If you're married, if you're a parent, if you're at work, if you're at play, it doesn't matter. If you're at school, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, the scripture says, you do for the glory of God. But it works that way in civic life as well. Nations are expected to give glory to God. Now, nations don't normally do that. In fact, most nations find ways to thumb their nose at God. And so our job is not only to preach to individuals, but our job is to speak to nations and cities and communities and say, listen, whether you like it or not, all of our job is to honor God because God will judge a nation or God will bless a nation. And his judgment or his blessing rests upon whether or not you and I will reflect his honor. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved or born again or righteous in a nation. It just means that the nation as a whole recognizes that God has something to do with their existence. Well, the prophetic coin has two sides to it. The one side we talked about really at intersection time today, and it's revival. We believe that there's a revival that's coming and that God is going to revive people and revive hearts and we want him to revive the nation. We want him to revive these things, but the same coin has an opposite side and that's reformation which means that if revival comes that the outgrowth or the repercussion of that revival is that god begins to reform the culture that all the evils of the culture begin to be resolved and i'm telling you right now that there is great upheaval in our culture there's great disruption in our culture right now there are factions on, on both sides of the pendulum, there are factions that are promoting racism and bigotry and discrimination. And then there's the other side that's, that's, that's promoting anarchy and chaos and socialism and, and anti-God. And they're clashing. And the rest of us are sitting here watching it, wondering what's going to happen. And I'm telling you that there is a disruption. Yes, the enemy is participating in this disruption, but I'm telling you that out of this disruption, God will use it to bring about revival. God always brings about his order out of chaos. Every time. And I'm telling you that there is disruption that has come, and there is disruption that is yet to come. And you need to prepare yourself for some disruption. We don't like it. We don't want it. We want to get out of it. But I'm telling you, just be prepared for it because disruption is God's way of pulling us out of our status quo and getting us back in focus with him. Now, most of you who know me have probably heard me say this. I hate labels. What I mean by that is uh, I, I hate 
having to identify myself with a label. People oftentimes will say, uh, you know, are you a Christian? And you'll say yes. And they'll say, what kind of Christian? And some people will, and I'll just go down the list. Well, I go to the Baptist church or I go to the Episcopalian church or I'm, uh, I'm a Methodist or, you know, or, you know, Presbyterian or whatever it is. I'm this. And for years we would say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm charismatic or I'm a Pentecostal or I'm full gospel. And uh, the reason I don't like labels is because every label comes with it, both the ability to kind of quickly identify yourself and what you believe, but also with that label comes a lot of baggage. Because if you say, I'm a Baptist, I mean, I, I have ideas of what that means. I know you have ideas of what that means. If you say Methodist, I know I have some ideas because I grew up in the Methodist church, so I kind of know what that means. Or Episcopalian. It may, may, may not be the same ideas you have, but I have some ideas what that means. So if, if you look at a world, and sometimes we look at each other and say, well, I'm a Pentecostal. Well, there's ideas. Well, you want to say, well, no, but I'm not exactly that kind of Pentecostal. Or I'm not exactly that kind of charismatic. I'm not exactly, I'm kind of that, but I'm not, I'm not that. And, and, and so I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. And, and, and I laughingly have said before that, that when people interact with me, uh, they look at me and I've had this said to me before. They've said, Kevin, you're an anomaly. And what that means is, is that you just don't fit into any mold. It's like, yeah, you, you believe that the Holy Spirit's alive and well and you practice the gifts and you still, you know, you speak and pray in tongues and you believe all that Holy Ghost stuff. But then at the same time, you know, you kind of done a lot of study and, and you haven't checked your brain out at the door and, and you kind of respect, you know, history. And so you're kind of an anomaly. And so I said, so my new label is that I am an anomalite. I'm an anomalite or anomalactic. Because, because you can't be pigeonholed. Why don't we just say we're Christian? We're Christian. And we believe that as Christians, that we are to be unapologetically biblical and unashamedly engaging people in our culture in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to know that, that the prophetic edge is amongst us, especially in these days. And I'm just telling you, just as John the Baptist's ministry included preparing the people for the single greatest disruption this world had ever or will ever know, how many of you know that when Jesus came, He didn't come going there, there, there. He came as the disruptor. Think about that. And now we pray, Jesus, send your spirit, send your very spirit in our midst. And we think when he comes, what is it, what is it going to be? Is it just going to be, ah, ooze, comfortable, convenient? Or when his spirit comes, does it disrupt? Was Pentecost this day where everybody just sort of sunned in the upper room under the glory of God? Or did it disrupt everything? I think we need a paradigm shift. Because I'm telling you, we need to prepare for some disruption. Now, I want to read to you. God spoke to me out of Isaiah 60. I just remember, this used to be my favorite passage. And you've sat down for a while now, so I hope you got your, your legs rested because we're going to stand for a moment. Which, so would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word as we respect it? It's not going to be on the screen overhead, so you're going to have to pull out your, your Bibles or your technology to Isaiah 60. 
And I believe out of Isaiah 60, and this is going to take a moment, but remember when Ezra found the scrolls, he read the word of God to the people and they stood for six hours. Now you won't be standing for six hours, but, but keep it in context that the short time you and I will be standing is plenty, is, is plenty able to be able to respect his word. Isaiah 60, now I want you to, it, this was like a personal word to me and a personal word to legacy. Just listen without comment. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come and they shall bring gold and incense and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Naoboth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar and I will glorify the house of my glory. Where are those who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roosts? Surely the coastlands shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified you. The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I have struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut by day or night, that men may bring you to the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in the procession. For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. Also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you, I will make you an, an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and the milk the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. And instead of stones, iron. I will make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God your glory. 
Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten in its time. And then Hebrews 12.25, just four verses, and this will be on the screen. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And all the people said amen to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, you'd have to be living under a rock these days or in a cave to have missed the news that tomorrow an eclipse is taking place and we're at ground zero or we're at one of the ground zeros. And much like Pastor Brad said during worship time, my position on the eclipse up to this moment has simply been that it's a natural celestial happening, which is interesting, but I don't know if it was a message or not. I do believe that God speaks through natural events. And as I awakened this morning, and as I thought really under, I think, inspiration, I believe God may indeed be using natural celestial earthly events to perhaps communicate a truth, and perhaps this is the moment that it's happening. Now all these things converged at once. If it seems eclectic or it seems haphazard, if it seems like there's no normal flow, like pastor who lives in this outline, who flows deductively through his messages and usually teaches expositionally, I'll just apologize. I'm kind of moving prophetically at the moment, so it may seem a little eclectic or disconnected but i but i think you're going to get the gist and the spirit of it as i begin to share it because isaiah 60 came to me as i awakened this morning and there were just several prophetic things 10 prophetic things uh, that were given to me which i which i think I've, I've been able to put on the screen and these are the new things that weren't in the original notes that i began to construct for the conference these are the things for us today number one is this we are not done with deep dark darkness this ought to make you feel affirmed, Pastor Brad. We are not done with deep darkness. I'd like to be able to share with you that deep darkness is running its course, but, but just as the eclipse, we're, we're actually on the front end of an eclipse, I believe we're on the front end of deep darkness. Deep darkness is not going away soon. Now, deep darkness will not stay forever, but it's not necessarily going away soon. In fact, in Isaiah 60, the word deep there's darkness deep darkness actually can be translated gross darkness now i don't know exactly what the hebrew term for gross is 
But I know in our modern vernacular, gross means those things which are absolutely twisted. Where we go, oh, I can't imagine. That's gross. How many times have we heard our children go, it's gross, stop it. Or we said to our kids, it's gross, stop it. God says gross things yet await us. And so we're going to have to be ever vigilant to understand because I have learned that the human condition, this is what we do. Bad becomes good because gross comes along. See, we begin to evaluate our standards based on the trajectory of things getting grosser and grosser and grosser until what was considered absolutely terrible, let's say in 1950, is now considered receivable because, hey, that, that's, that's, that's not as bad as what they're doing there. Are you following me? Gross darkness, it's not going to end. The trajectories of grossness are going to continue. You, not be, you may not be grossed out yet. Hang on. We can only imagine. Number two is this. The Lord is on the brink, however, of an arising. This is the good news, man. Whenever there's this kind of darkness, God takes advantage of it because He knows it doesn't take much light to get that kind of attention in darkness. There's an arising coming. It's His church, at least those that want to participate in the arising. Number three. The Lord spoke to me that civic officials will stream to this house. Now we had, and I read this morning at intercession time, a prophecy in 2004 that said this very word, that there would be civic officials that will begin to stream to this house. But I want to broaden that just a little bit, and that civic officials are going to begin to stream to the house of God. Why is that? It's because legislation doesn't fix men's hearts. We can pass laws ad infinitum. There are laws on the books right now. And again, I'm not even entering into the fray over whether or not statutes should remain or they should go. I'm not even entering into that fray. I am saying this, that the, the anarchy that is, that is coming, I can tell you this, that pulling down a statue isn't going to fix what's in the fabric of men's hearts. We can pull down every statue in America. In fact, my opinion is, let's just go ahead and pull them all down and we'd get rid of two-thirds of Washington, D.C. Pulling a statue down isn't going to fix anybody's heart. It gets it out of your eyes for a moment, but if you think that fixes your heart, it doesn't fix anything. And it will happen. We'll begin to remove the vestiges of Christianity off walls as well. We're already taking down Ten Commandments, and we're taking down crosses, and we're taking down everything imaginable, because God knows we can't offend anybody. So we're going to pull down every statue, and we're going to get to Washington and Lincoln and Jefferson. We'll get to them eventually. We're going to get to them all, and we'll pull them all down, and our sins will forever be in front of us because you can't pull that down and civic officials are going to go what more can we pass what more laws can we implement and finally the people will awaken and they will see that their answer is not going to come from the next piece of legislation but it's going to come from god himself because he's the only one that can get into the heart of man and civic officials in pure exhaustion and futility and vanity are going to rush into the church. And we have to be ready, church, with answers. Not platitudes, but answers. And that's why we're beginning 
to catechize, and, and you may not like that word, but it's a good word with regards to discipling. Our kids need to know what they believe. We need to know what we believe. We need to have the answers to people who are going to be searching for, for the deepest of questions to be addressed. I want to tell you another praise report. This was really cool. I had, a, I had an attorney from the Liberty Institute. The Liberty Institute is much like the ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. It's a group of attorneys that litigate First Amendment issues, usually religious freedom issues. And I met one of the deputy chief counsels. And after one of the conference sessions in Iowa, he came up to me and we had this conversation. He looked at me and he said, I'm, I'm telling you what, I just heard about this Bonhoeffer stuff that you're doing. I want to do whatever I can to help you. We're going to get this thing out. We're going to get this thing into the hands of pastors. And whatever we need to do, we're going to get it out there for you. <clears throat> now understand, I've had a lot of interactions with a lot of people through the years to the point where I don't get too excited about much anymore. You kind of you got to wait and say, well, that's great. And I'd be happy if it happened, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> you know, I've had people promise me things that it never came to pass. But I just got contacted just a couple days ago. There are two lawyers that are going to fly out at the end of the month. They're flying here to me to meet all day. We're going to meet at the boardroom at the Crown Plaza Hotel, and we're going to begin to see what we can do to begin to train pastors in order to get engaged in both revival and reformation. And I don't know how it'll happen or where it'll go or any of those sorts of things, but I'm just telling you that God's positioning things in order to, for his word to come to pass. We'll see how it shakes. I'm still, you know, I'm still, you know, Lord, whatever you have. But, but here's the deal. We're just, we're just taking it one step at a time. But I can tell you there's some things falling into place, being orchestrated. The fourth thing I can tell you is this. God told me the sons and daughters of your house and the ministry shall return. That there's going to be a glory and a revival of such proportion that your sons, their sons and daughters right now. Uh, that don't know the Lord or, or they've walked away from God, I'm telling you, they're going to come back to the house of God. They're sons of daughters in the ministry. They're going to come back and return. That's what God says. It's going to happen. Number five, prosperity shall be released. Come on, that, that, that ought to excite some of you. Prosperity shall be released because when the glory manifests, the need arises. How many of you know God uses people in order to underwrite it and finance it and, and he prospers his people's hands in amazing ways? And you're going to be a part of that. Number six, the Lord is going to begin himself to glorify his house. I don't know exactly how that means or what that means, but I can tell you this. I've seen the glory of God in years past show up and when his glory shows up it's remarkable what it begins to do number seven i felt prophetically the lord said revival will occur in the coastland again i'm pulling all of this out of isaiah chapter 60 as well as the personal prophetic words we've received but the low country needs revival hear me we were praying this morning and it just it just was inspired in me because we are refighting the civil war again in this nation we're refighting it. And here's, here's the bad news. The bad news is we want to refight these old animosities, but here's, I think, what good news is, that the first shots 
of the Civil War originated here in Charleston, South Carolina. And I believe the first shots of the glory of God are going to originate here in Charleston, South Carolina. Revival will come to the coastland. Number eight, it said in Isaiah 60 that the gates won't be closed. The doors will never going to be closed. There's going to be somehow a 24-hour ministry assignment that's going to take place. That's what the Lord said. Because you can't just hem off His glory. You can't hem it off geographically and you can't hem it off on the clock. Now if His glory isn't here, that's burdensome. But if His glory in revival is here, it's a delight. Number nine, those who despise the ministry shall return. Perhaps this is one of the greater vindications. That those who despised what God was doing will become back to the house of God. Hear me when I say this. Houses of God will be filled. And then lastly, I put here number 10, there'll be an outburst of unprecedented praise and worship. That there's always this this worship element that begins to burst forth. And God is going to use these things to shake up cities and states and nations and the globe. He's going to disrupt this world with His presence. But before He disrupts the world, I'm here to declare to you He's disrupting His church. If judgment begins at the house of God, how much more would disruption begin at the house of God before He takes it to the church? I showed my son on the, on the afternoon of 9-11 when we were opening up the church on James Island. We were opening up the church in order for people to come and to pray because nobody really knew what was happening that day on September 11th when the Twin Towers came tumbling down. I remember as we opened the doors to the church that day and we were looking out the window, there was an apartment complex that kind of encompassed us about 180 around the church. And on that afternoon when we opened up the doors i'll never forget uh, we didn't send out a flyer we didn't put it on the newspaper or, or or television there was no way to get the news out you know some people asked are you going to have a prayer service and we said yeah we're going to open up the church and so we just turned the lights on and we opened up the doors and i watched people in that apartment complex begin to come out their doors people and we'd farmed that apartment complex. We'd given invitations in that apartment complex. We'd invited people to church in that apartment complex. You couldn't pry them out of that apartment complex. But that night, because there was a disruption in this land, those doors of that apartment complex opened up and people started, and I am not, I'm not embellishing this, they began to stream out of those apartments and they began walking across the street to come to the doors of the church. And I grabbed my oldest son who is just early high school age, maybe even younger than that. I brought him with me to the window and I said, Clay, be sure you look at this and I want you to see this with your very own eyes because you may never see something like this again, but this is what God can do when he disrupts us, when he, when he allows something to happen in the midst of us, people will open doors and they will stream to the church. I'm telling you, there's a disruption that's coming to our nation and our communities that people you can't pry into God's church house will stream into it. Hear me. Here's the choice. It's always been our choice. We either come because the Holy Spirit solicits us in His winsome, gentle way, or we will come to the house of God because our whole life has been disrupted. 
And most of the time, people won't come unless there's disruption. So what does God do? He disrupts us. And we complain. And yet it's the only thing that'll ever work. It's interesting to me, when I read to you Hebrews chapter 12, basically the gist of Hebrews 12 is this. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. Isn't that true? Jerry Lee Lewis was prophesying. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. God's shaking you. He's shaking me. He's shaking us. He's shaking this nation. He's shaking all that can be shaken. Why? So that which cannot be shaken shall remain. We don't like being shook, do we? We don't like any piece of the shaking. But I'll just repeat, you cannot be a disruptor unless you're willing to be disrupted. You cannot have the kingdom unless you're willing to be shook in some areas. And so I want to just give you quickly just three lessons this disruption teaches us. I'm not going to spend long. I'm, I'll, I'll finish on, on, on time today. <laughs> three lessons I want to give you that disruption or shaking teaches us. Number one is this. No person or government, no matter how powerful, will stand forever. The minute you think, the minute you think that something can't go on without you is the minute you're probably deceived. There is no person or government, no matter how powerful, can stand forever. Not even America. America will not stand forever. We're foolish to think it will. He's going to disrupt to remind us these things. But you don't have to be shaken because you're standing in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Here, America can be shook all at once. I'm standing in a kingdom which cannot be shaken. I'm going to be okay. His people are going to be okay. His church will be okay because I'm on the solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. My... Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. These are going to be incredibly important songs in the days ahead. No person or government, no matter how powerful, will stand forever. Number two is this. God's people are not insulated from that disruption. We we, we stand in the middle of of a culture that's going to be disrupted, and, and we're going to feel some of it. But understand, we're in the hand of God as we're feeling the disruption around us. I'm hoping and believing and praying that that there'll be no great disruption like we saw in Charlottesville or other areas or New York City or Boston or whatever the disruption may be. I'm praying that we don't have to see any of this in Charleston, South Carolina, but just kind of knowing us and our history, my sense is that God's probably going to do something to disrupt us. And when it happens, we need to be sure that we cry out to him and we say, Lord, I stand in you. Thirdly, disruption accentuates God's sovereignty over people and nations. This is really the cool part of disruption. It causes us to finally ask the question, what am I standing on and who am I standing with? Because when your life is in upheaval or when your life is all disrupted, you're going to ask yourself, hey, everything's shaky. Well, then let go of the shaky stuff and put your hand on that which is unshakable. It accentuates his sovereignty. All around me may be failing and falling, but I've got a hold of you, Lord. Disruption always reveals 
in all of our lives who is really in charge. And just so you'll be aware, most people do not understand that. But you, brethren and sisters, can understand that. God is using the hour we are in, the disruptions that are coming, whether it's in your life or in our community or in our nation, for His glory and not destruction. You'll come through okay, you'll come through, but you can't be holding on to shaky things. You say, but isn't there a better way? Why disruption? Isn't there a better way? Well, here's what I've come to the conclusion. Number one is this. It solicits your attention. It solicits your attention. The saddest singular indictment for most people is that they will rarely listen to wisdom or counsel from pastor or an authority until something breaks. It usually takes pain for ears to open. Could you pray with me right now and just simply say this before the Lord? Lord, let me have ears to hear so pain does not have to be my megaphone. Give me ears to hear even things I may not want to hear in order to avoid pain being my megaphone. Come on now. It solicits your attention. Number two, it dislodges you from the world system. You know why God disrupts? Is that it dislodges your hands from things that they ought not be on. He disrupts it in order that you'll get your hand off of the world system and the way the world believes and the way the world acts. And when he went to the, I'll never forget the rich young ruler story where he looks at the rich young ruler and he says, says sell all you have. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because my mouth can't keep up with my brain. He says, sell all you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And the rich young ruler says inside, I can't do it because I have great riches. What did Jesus do? Jesus identified his trust system. And he says, if you'll let go of your trust system and follow me, who's to say that that rich young ruler could not have been blessed 30, 60, 100 fold and been in a better position than he was originally? It's because he wouldn't let go of the world system and the way the world works. And so Jesus comes as the disruptor, disrupts him, and he doesn't want to let go of it. So disruption comes to us to shake you out of your invalid trust connections. You can't trust your mama or your daddy. You can't trust grandma or grandpa. You can't trust all that's going on. I don't trust, listen, you do what you want. I don't even trust Wall Street anymore. I don't trust American politicians anymore. I don't trust the government anymore. I trust Jesus. And then thirdly, why disruption is this. It plants you firmly in his rule and reign for all the inconvenience and pain and stretching that accompanies a disruption here's the good news you're in the place of miracles now here's the good news we as a people are in the place of miracles man i am so excited we are about to see miracles come to pass in our midst hear me unless we're shaken and that's the question will you be shaken or will you believe that god's word is true will you believe that the prophetic announcements are true will you believe all that we've been hearing is true it is more true to grab that than it is to grab everything around you and if you'll grab him and you'll grab his word you'll be okay and we'll be okay
because he's never, the Bible says, never seen the righteous begging for bread. There'll be more than enough. There's a whole lot of shaking going on, but I'm not shaking. Or if I am, I'm only getting rid of that which I don't need to be holding on to because I'm holding on to him. Stand with me, will you?